want a bit of the quiet life. I want a bit of shelf indulgence. If there is reading, give me all of it. Join the show on the Microbrew Radio. Listen to Jim, Wendy, and Emily. Join in the conversation. I want to hear it. I want to read it. I want a bit of shelf indulgence. I want to hear Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Shelf Indulgence. Your weekly dose of everything bookish from Microbrew Radio. It's me, Jim, and I'm here as usual with Wendy. And this week we're going to be looking at a book that Wendy recommended called Why Men Don't Listen and Women Can't Read Maps. <laughs> I thought it would be a bit controversial, actually, Jim, which is well, why I suggested Well, yes, yes, I, I, it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's certainly out there. Let's, before we get too far into that, let's visit Poetry Corner, because I know we've both picked appropriate or apt poems. We have. Would you like to no. go first? Or would you like to I'll go first. Go but first. I do think I ought to um I just do think I ought to say something. And that okay. is we need to remember that when we're reviewing this book, it was written in a different era. And what was acceptable in a different era may not be acceptable nowadays, which is why it could be controversial. And keeping in the in line with that, my poems were written from the same era. So um, I've got uh, two ones, one's slightly longer than the other one, but they're called, they're written as a pair, written by the same poet, and they're called A Woman and a Man's Poem. So A Woman's Poem. Before I lay me down to sleep, I pray for a man who's not a creep, one who's handsome, smart and strong, one who loves to listen long, one who thinks before he speaks, one who'll call, not wait for weeks. I pray he's rich and self-employed, and when I spend, won't be annoyed. Pull out my chair and hold my hand, massage my feet and help me stand. Oh, send a king to make me queen, a man who loves to cook and clean. I pray this man will love no other and relish visits with my mother. And the man's poem is... I pray for a deaf-mute gymnast nymphomaniac with big boobs who owns a bar on a golf course who loves to send me fishing and drinking. This doesn't rhyme and I don't care. Very good. <laughs> so, yes, um, and that sort of sets the tone, I think, for the review of the book that we're going to do. Uh, yeah, I mean, it could. I, I've chosen in a similar vein a poem written by a woman about a man. And it's not – now, this isn't – particularly aimed at this poet's personal husband, I don't think. It is It is written about a husband from one of her anthologies called The Broken Woman. Mm. So this is by Pam Ayres, and it's called They Should Have Asked My Husband. <laughs> you know, this world is complicated and imperfect and oppressed, and it's not hard to feel timid, apprehensive and depressed. It seems that all around us, tides of questions ebb and flow. And people want solutions, but they don't know where to go. Opinions abound, but who is wrong and who is right? People need a prophet, a diffuser of the light. Someone they can turn to as the crises rage and swirl. Someone with the remedy, 
the wisdom, the pearl. Well, they should have asked my husband. He'd have really gone to town. With his thoughts on immigration, teenage mothers, Gordon Brown. The future of the monarchy, house prices in the south. The wait for hip replacements, BSE and foot and mouth. Oh, they should have asked my husband. He can sort out any mess. He can rejuvenate the railways. He can cure the NHS. So any little niggle, anything you want to know, just run it past my husband. Wind him up and let him go. Congestion on the motorways, free holidays for thugs, the damage to the ozone layer, refugees, drugs. These may defeat the brain of any politician bloke, but present it to my husband, he will solve it at a stroke. He'll clarify the situation, he will make it crystal clear. You'll feel the glazing of your eyeballs and the bending of your ear. Corruption at the top, he's an authority on that. And the Mafia, Gada Afia and Yasser Arafat. Upon these areas, he brings his intellect to shine in a great, compelling voice that's twice as loud as yours or mine. I often wonder what it must be like to be so strong, infallible, articulate, self-confident and wrong. When it comes to tolerance, he hasn't got a lot. Joyriders should be guillotined and muggers should be shot. The sound of his own voice becomes like music to his ears. And he hasn't got an inkling that he's boring us to tears. My friends don't call so often. They have busy lives, I know. But it's not every day you want to hear a windbag suck and blow. Encyclopedias. On them we have never to call. Why clutter up the bookshelf when my husband knows it all? <laughs> I absolutely love that poem. It's it's one of her greatest. Isn't it, it is. It's great. Absolutely brilliant. It's definitely classic, classic poem. Yes. Yeah. Right. So having introduced in that vein... <laughs> Let's us turn our attention to why men don't listen and women can't read maps. Yes. Now, you you might be expecting um, me to perhaps rail against this, Wendy, because it is written in 1999 and offers some views that might consider not quite um, contemporary and yes yeah I'd agree with that yeah um, but I'm first, first of all I'm going to speak in defence okay this book has on its title uh, on its front cover written big and loud and proud why men don't listen and women can't read that now I'd like to just, in its defence, say it starts out with a sweeping generalisation and swiftly says that it knows that that is a sweeping generalisation and it's not true of all people. Yes. So it, it doesn't say 
we are all these stereotypes. No, it doesn't. However, what the authors have attempted to do through their work is to look at the difference between men and women. Yeah. And explain those differences and thereby perhaps help us to cope and understand with the two sexes better. Yes. Now, having defended it, let me perhaps offer some of my concerns. Okay. Firstly, on the basis of its science, this book was written and published in 1999 and hasn't been updated since. And the two areas of science, um, and by science at this point, I'm going to specifically say hard and fast science. Yep. So neuroscience and genetics. Yep. Those two fields have come on leaps and bounds in huge ways since this book was written. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. So some of its science is genuinely outdated and inaccurate. Yes, I'd agree with that. Um, which is always the problem with writing a non-fiction book. Mm. When you write a non-fiction book, you always risk the gambit of what you've written is fact until it's been proven otherwise. That's absolutely right. Secondly, this book takes the presupposition that gender is binary, both in terms of biology and in terms of psychology. I'd agree with that. And I think that is indicative of the time that it was written. Certainly the time it was written. Yeah, in, that definitely. Is yeah. It, it is limited. It, it, it is extremely limited in that from that perspective, yeah. I don't think, however, that demerits its work. Okay. I think if you can take those things into consideration, this book still has some worth to it. Yeah. Um, I think my next concern with the book is that it sets out to highlight that there are differences between men and women. Yeah. Which is, without fact, without any question, that is a fact. And it is a fact. There are differences between everyone. There are differences between the two genders, biologically speaking, which yep. isn't actually that cut and dry in terms of biology. It's not binary because all sorts of wonderful things can happen genetically. However, that aside, you know, there is some accuracy to its science on that basis. So it has right to say, look, I believe this, and this is fact, and this is my findings. What bugs me, Wendy, is it starts off saying, look, we know these are sweeping generalizations. It's not true for everyone. However, women generally excel at A, B, and C, and men don't. Yeah. Great, fine, no problem. But when it gets to an area where it says men do excel, it then falls over itself to apologise for the fact that it's saying that men are excelling to mm. If you're writing a non-fiction book, you don't need to apologise for facts. Facts no, are facts. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of got stuck with that a little bit. Um, and then, I suppose my final thing is, 
it's credited as having two authors. Yes. Alan and Barbara Pease. However, when I read it, I very much felt like I was only hearing Alan's voice from the text. Mm. And that then made me go, well, is crediting your wife as co-author just a gimmick? Well, I went to, um, when this book was launched, I went to see them uh, talk about it. It was um, one of the events that they did. And what was really clear is that she's the scientist behind this. So he's the popularist and she's the scientist. So she went away and did all the legwork, all of the groundwork about the the current research that was happening of the time. And then they jointly decided to put together the work. And and I think, if if, um, memory serves me rightly, he um, sourced a lot of the anecdote that illustrates some of the points that they talk about. But hers was the research, the the sort of, she did the academic bit. So then the woman did all the legwork and the bloke did the waffle and took credit. And do you know what, Jim? That's why I love this book. So if I, I bet you when you were about halfway through, did you think to yourself, why on earth has Wendy recommended this book? Because if you read it and you know me, you would say that we're not natural bedfellows for me in this book. No, I, I, would have... say, I would say this this balks against some of your opinions about what rules gave the world. Yes, it, it absolutely does. So let me tell you why I love this book so much. So when I started to read it, I didn't do the this is this isn't a book for me of men are from Mars and women are from Venus. It's not that sort of book. However, if you read this book to say that there are people with male wired brains and there are people with female wired brains and it has absolutely nothing to do with their physical gender, then you start to get a sense that this is about personality preferences and styles and types, and actually not about gender at all. I think I think your reading of the book is so enlightened and in-depth that it takes his work another step. Right, okay. <laughs> I don't think what you're getting from the book is what someone can get from the book without having your knowledge and experience. Or okay. similar to knowledge and experience. Mm. I think Alan Pease is is somewhere between traditional male misogynist and attempting to be enlightened male forward thinker. Well, at the risk of being even more controversial, some of that may be explained by the fact that um, he's Australian. Well, I mean, let's not <laughs> let's not sweep an entire nation in one rush. I'm not, but if However, you look at if you look at if you look at men, Australian men in the nineties, yeah. it sort of makes sense. So, so this is definitely a a trip down memory lane. But there are concepts in this book that if you read if you read this book today and you take into consideration how far that science has come and what we know now, 
there are still some really, really intriguing ideas in this book about the really? way that we are wired, just just the way that we mentally process things, not linked with gender, but linked with left brain and right brain thinking. Yes, entirely. Now, I I love nonfiction. Mm. It's one of my little personal bugbears that we never discuss enough nonfiction on the show. Mm. So when you said, let's do this book, I was like, yes, nonfiction. Get me in there. In my element. And I, I completely agree. I think there are lots of very good points in here. There are some very accurate scientific points in here. Yeah. However, I would love to read a up-to-date modern version of this. Yeah, yeah. I'd love either Alan and Barbara or somebody new to take this book and make it up to date in terms of its science, mm. in terms of what we now know, in terms of the psycho. I think the thing that's missing for me here is some of the psychology. Yeah, I'd, yeah I'd agree with that. There are some gaps in there. Poss- and possibly the psychology that is in here is what has dated the most. Mm. Finally, in the Burton on Trent area, is a community radio station for all of us. It's Microbrew Radio. Microbrew Radio is a brand new community radio station, and anyone can get involved. <laughs> Even me. That's right, I'm here at Microbrew Radio, and I'm getting involved and I'm having fun every day. And you can too. Just join up now by going to our social media pages at Microbrew Radio or you can email us at microbrewradio at gmail.com. Why not even come in? I'll be happy to speak to you anytime. So come down, let's have a laugh. It's Microbrew Radio, the radio for you and for me. But I think there are some really... Some, in terms of some of the basic stuff that it deals with. So this book deals with um, some of the real paradoxes that you get. Um, and it deals a lot with couples, doesn't it? So so yeah. it uses couples a lot. Um, and so it deals with those paradoxes. So if ever you are the sort of person that has come home, regardless of what your gender is, this is just people. So if ever you're the sort of person that's come home and you've had a dreadful day and you just want to offload, and you have a partner who is continually trying to solve the problem that you're explaining. This tells you why that happens. So it says that there are people who are hardwired to process the emotions that they've had during the day um, just literally by dumping and sharing what they've been through. But for others, others will hear that and they will see it as a challenge for them to solve the problem whether you want it solved or not and it's it's those nuances those differences that i find really intriguing in this book and and you're right jim it is terribly it is terribly dated but nevertheless i think it still has some value because we live in a world where communication is extremely complex and and if you look at what happened over the last 5 years 
We've seen time and time again, case after case, of people getting the wrong end of the stick, people being offended by something that wasn't meant to be offensive at all. It was just a statement of fact from a particular point of view. And you watch how easy it is to get communication wrong because we see think we see the world as we are, not as as the world is. We see the world from our perspective. And that is going to create real difficulties and misunderstandings in communication. And what this book goes part way towards, for me anyway, is that it, it attempts in its very naive way, it attempts to try and explore some of those differences that create those misunderstandings between people. Yes, I'd agree with that. I think I think you're right. It does it does do that. And I think if I was to recommend this book to anyone, it would be with that advice of bear in mind when it was written. And what we've learnt as a community since then. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Um, but but I think as well, Jim, that that there is there is real slabs of truth that sit in this. So so there's the thing about spatial awareness, and how when you have somebody who is spatially aware and you have somebody who isn't, it's like putting two people from completely different species together. Yes. Because one has a way of understanding the world as they see it, spatially aware, and the other person doesn't. And again, that has nothing to do with gender. It's the way they are wired. But the fact that people can read this and have a bit of a smile about the person who is looking for something and it's right under their nose, but they physically can't see it, or um, they consider that they're looking for something, even though they don't physically move anything out of the way to try and find it. All of these have kernels of truth in them. And they're the things that tick us off about each other. And so for me, it's about you need to be understanding what generates that. Because if you understood it, it wouldn't tick you off as much. Yes, no, I agree with that. And it's a very well-made point, Wendy. And I would also say that, although it makes sweeping generalisations, the reason sweeping generalisations are often used and often work is that for the majority, it will fit for most of the time. Yeah, yeah. There is a relatability to it, isn't there? Yeah, no, you know... you know, a lot of men will, but you know, biological men will have a tendency towards tunnel vision and better spatial awareness because of evolution. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And then, and what also I think is that actually what, and this is the bit that I think is missing not just from this book, but also it's missing from most of current science because it's it's a new school of thought that's slowly coming through, is that actually we've disregarded our evolution in the past 50 years. Mm. Now, I would argue that 
physically, we've not evolved a great deal in the last 50 years. The way that our genes are expressed in our phenotype, our physical appearance, haven't evolved a great deal in the past 50 years. Mm. However, the brain, which is an organ that, to the vast majority of its workings, is still a mystery to us. In the way that that works, and the way that the brain and the nervous system's apparatus have adapted and evolved over the last 50 years, I think that's something else. Mm, I'd agree with that. I mean, he doesn't, he definitely doesn't talk about the, um, he definitely doesn't address the sort of massive societal shift we've had in gender because he couldn't have predicted that. No. Um, and so it's, it doesn't, it absolutely doesn't cover that. Um, but I think you're right. I think it does raise interesting questions. And, and it, we've talked about this lots. But for me, the biggest question that this book poses is nurture or nature? Yeah, well, it does. It does. And again, I, 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 I come down hard and fast on the fact that they are not exclusive. Mm. Mm. Um, there are elements of your nature that will be expressed because of your genetic makeup. And then there will be parts of who you are that have been completely influenced by your nurturing. Yeah, yeah. And you will always have a mixture of the two. Um, I think that this book perhaps doesn't, for me, look enough at nurture and nature. Mm. It, it does mention it from from place to place, but it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't do a, a sort of in depth um, analysis of it at all. No, and I think there's a vast tendency in the statements made through the book to say, "Look, men evolved this way, so they can do this." Yes, yeah. And women evolved that way, so they can do that. Mm. And that's kind of like as far as it really gets. Yeah, yeah. Now. I think when you take into consideration that certainly over the past couple of hundred years, how we choose our partners has changed drastically. Yeah, yeah. And we're no longer selecting for the biggest or the best hunter or the most sportingly prowess. Well, I think I think some people don't. I think there are still people that do. Oh, there, do. And yet there are still yeah. people. But yeah, but I think I think you're right. Is. I think the balance is changing because not everyone is. I think that part of how the species is evolving is what isn't taken into consideration here. Yeah, yeah, and and you wouldn't, in fairness, this book is written, you know, sort of twenty odd years ago, so you wouldn't expect it to. No. Be no, it's what, it's 24 years old now. Yeah, it is what it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so that has to be taken into consideration. So the other question I have of you is... Yes. Did you discover any of the humour in the book? Yes. Some of the humour was there and it worked for me. Some of its attempts at humour annoyed me. I thought it might. <laughs> um, oh, do you know what really bugged me? Go on. The stupid cartoons. 
Yeah, and I'll tell you what, he must have a friend who's a who's a, an illustrator because mm. he wrote a few books around this time. He, he wrote genuinely probably one of the best books I've ever read on body language. Um, he wrote, and he got the same guy to illustrate it, and they are really irritating the illustrations. Well, they're just so stereo. They're so true to stereotypes. They're so ridiculously extreme. They are. You know, it's like the diagram of the male mind, where the majority of the centre of the brain is taken up by sex. And there's a toilet aiming cell. Yes. And it's like, right, this this has just gone too far. Yeah, I, I, I do think that that was done tongue-in-cheek. And where that might have been acceptable in the 1990s, um, I think that we're less tolerant of that sort of stuff nowadays. Yeah. And, yeah, but, I mean, some of them, like, you know, the person waving their arms blindly from the fridge, you're hitting the butter from me again. There's none in the fridge and it's right in front of him. Yeah. Absolutely. I know men and women who both can't find things that are underneath everybody knows. No, that's absolutely right. And that's my point about if you read this book thinking that there are there are male wired brains and there are female wired brains as a label, but that has nothing to do with their gender, this book makes far more sense. But equally, and this is something not just in this book, but in life generally, there's one chapter where the illustration introducing it is a couple in bed and the woman's inner thought is a huge lengthy monologue of anxiety and wonderment about what the bloke's thinking and whether she's going to leave her and she's getting old and this, that, the other. And the bloke's man inner monologue is... I wonder how flies lying upside down. Yeah. And again, for me, that is completely a two different types of psychological person, not a male female. Yes. Yeah. No, no, I'd absolutely agree with you. But that's why it makes more sense if you talk about wiring. I mean, I remember when I, when I bought this book originally and read it. Um, so we'd been, I'd been married to Andrew probably about, Eight or nine years at that point, I would have thought. Um, no, a bit longer than that. And um, and we were we were, used to have discussions about it because he because we are completely and utterly different in terms of the way we process stuff, the way we think, the way we behave. Totally different. And so he he threw up some of those differences, and we used to talk about it. And I said to Andrew, I said, "What's the most? If you could tell me the most outlandish thing that you've ever thought." Um, that that you think would really surprise me in terms of your mental processing, what would it be? Um, that you don't think women would do. That was that was the bad. So, what do you think? You you know your most typical male thought processes that you don't think women would do. And he said to, I've never forgot this. He said, "Have you ever walked down the street wondering what it would feel like to be a secret agent?" And how you'd follow somebody. And what happens if you do, if you found out somebody was following you? And I said, no. And he went, oh, oh, oh okay then. <laughs> and it's that. It's the fact that some people, and that has nothing to do with our genders, but some people have a creative 
um, just a rambling imagination that can take over at any moment during the day. And others just are quite content to live in the here and now and deal with the mundane. And that's just the difference between people. Some of us just spend eternity overanalyzing and seeking into paranoia. But, you know, like you say, we're all different. We're all different. That's absolutely right. Okay. Right. Let's put a pin in this now because we're past the halfway point. Let's visit what has Granny read. Okay, then. Wake up. It's time to put on your walking shoes. Get ready for a walk. Walk up to your front door and take the walk outside of it. Walk down. Walk out. Get walking. Walk stronger. Walk faster. Walk harder. Walk like you've never walked before. Because now on your walk, you have the Microbrew Radio app in your pocket, playing all your favourite songs and shows on your walk. So it's it's been a slow week. You've only read six. Oh, slow week then, Jim. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and I can only take responsibility for three of these. So let's see. At the top of the pile, we've got Oxford Knot by Veronica Storwood. It's a mystery, I believe. Yeah, it's a Kate Ivory mystery. Uh, a mystery where a novelist tries to solve. Apparently it was quite good. It's not one I've read. Um, not even, um, I was going to say, I've not even come across the author before. It's priced at 50 pence in pencil in the first page. So I'm guessing it was bought at either a coffee morning or a charity shop. First published in 1998. Right. Okay. Um, then we've got Isabel Broom's The Getaway, which has a cover that I'd never pick up. Um, most people travel to Croatia for its endless sunshine, heavily beaches of Crystal Crazy. Kate goes there to disappear. Oh. She needs to escape from her life to fall apart in spectacular and public fashion. No one on the beautiful island of Havar knows who she is or where she's, what she's running away from. Until she meets another lonely soul. Alex is different to any man Kate has ever known, yet the connection between them is undeniable. She soon begins to open up in ways she has never before, not even to herself. But Kate is not the only person in Havar hiding secrets. And as she is about to discover... It is always only a matter of time before the truth catches up with you. Mm. Yeah, I don't think I'd enjoy it, but um, no. it's got some intrigue. Then um, I put her on to the uh, St. Mary's series. All right, which one did she read? So she started at the beginning mm. with just one damn thing after another, the first of the St. Mary's Chronicles. She then read the Symphony of Echoes, the second book. And then she picked up and devoured the whole of The Long and Short of It, which is a collection of short stories. Oh, right, yes. Which, if you get really geeky and look into it, they actually have a read this one in between this book and this book. 
can read this all one. right yeah but she just read it and i read them all um and then she would have read more of that series apart from she couldn't find them despite the fact that they're all on the same shelf okay um, but i've pointed them out to her so she'll be fine okay and then there's a book that appeared in the house that we both say you haven't bought. So we're not sure where this book has come from. Okay. But she's read it. It's called The Family Shadow by Susan Winterly. A Victorian era murder. A modern day family researcher. Can she solve the century old puzzle of a racehorse trainer's death? his wife's disappearance. So the murder happens in Ireland in 1891. And then, so it's like two stories side by side. Yeah. Yeah. And this other story is 2019, where a character has to put her husband's betrayal behind her she has a chance to get away and recover. And then when she gets to Wexford Coast, she starts um, assisting and a centric descendant of the Thornton family into digging up the dirt on this old murder. Right. Did Granny enjoy that one? She did. So, that's... so, so are you adding that to your to be red pile then? If it goes on it, it's a lot. We're going to keep it. It's going to be in the house. Mm. Is it in the pile? Let's say it's in the distant pile. Okay, then. There's a lot of things that are higher up the pile. I'm sure there are, Jim. I'm sure there are. Um, so that's what Granny has read this week. Excellent. Um, she's thoroughly enjoyed the war, I think, she said. So there we are. Um, now, in terms of why men don't read, mm. why men don't listen to women can't read maps, can I ask when, what year did you first read this? I read it in 1999. I read it when it was a, a new release. So I know you've dipped in and out of it since then. Yeah, have, yeah. How has it aged for you? I, I would say it's aged in, I, I'd say very, very similar comments to you. Um, it's culturally, um, it's aged hugely. So if you read this book, as soon as you open it within the first few pages, you can almost predict the, the era that it was written in. It, it is it is that outdated in terms of its social, um, its uh, social acceptances and um, and the way that society's moved on. So it is it is a dated book. There's no two ways about it. Um, and yet, I would still say, you know, there's a reason that I got you to to read it by by suggesting it that we looked at it, and that is, I still think it has a lot of value. Um, because for me, the the intolerances that we suffer nowadays about people not being able to tolerate somebody else's different view, or not being sometimes even being able to debate a point if if the view they hold is contrary to somebody else, can all be explained by simple differences. 
you know, just because somebody says something that you disagree with doesn't make them a bad person, just means they think differently to you. And for me, the tolerance would the tolerance level of society would be much higher if actually we just understood that people are different. There's no right or wrong, no good or bad. They're just different. And it's there's nothing threatening about somebody holding a different view to you. In fact, I would argue that one of the things that this book could justify is why we need freedom of speech. Because the moment you make saying something unacceptable is the moment you risk driving it underground. And if you have freedom of speech, you can spot where the nutters are. If I'm I'm being blunt, you can spot where the danger signs are in society. You, You curb what people say, and all you do is you drive that underground. And at least if you can, you can pick a book up like this, you can debate it, you can pick apart, you can criticise it for its cultural insensitivities, and there are plenty in this book um, by today's standards, um, and yet there is still something of value in it um, and, and still something that you can learn from it. So for me, it's an it's an interesting book. I don't think it's particularly accurate by today's standards, but I do think there are some accuracies in it. Yeah, I, I'd be inclined to agree with that. I think it has it has got worth, has got merit. Uh, I just I just really wish we had a modernised yeah yeah version of it for us to read and take into account the most recent research. Yeah, I'd I'd wholeheartedly agree with that. And actually, depending because I mean I'm, I bet he's cracking on now. Um, but I, it would be great if he, at some point, if he got nothing else to do as he as he gets older and starts to chill out a bit more, you could do worse than revisit this book and update it. Definitely, I I, I would agree with that. Um, I think I would if I if I'm to put a score on this. Mm. I think I'm going to have to go two and a half. All right, okay. Yeah. Because it's it's non-fiction, and I think people should read more non-fiction. I think when people read non-fiction, what this, what this book does do, which I think is an important part of reading non-fiction, is that, and this is something I think a lot of people get mistaken with non-fiction, because a lot of people think that non-fiction, when you read it, is like reading an encyclopedia. Therefore, it is all solid truth. No. A non-fiction book does not mean it is only full of facts. Mm. It just means it's full of opinions. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Jim. Absolutely right. And actually, in terms of giving people something to read to stimulate what I think is important to discussion and debate. I think this book does that. Mm. Mm. I think the current issues around gender, tolerance and acceptance are brought into the fore by looking at this book. Yeah, I'd agree, Jim. Um, I think... 
I've, I, I know people who make quite derogatory and hurtful statements in terms of how people choose to identify. So they'll mock it by saying, well, this week I'm identifying as a toaster. Mm. Hold on a minute. You're, what you're doing there is you're ridiculing someone's life choices. Mm. And that's not okay. No. And I have called out people I know on that because it's not right. But at the same time, I think a book like this can foster, as you say, the correct, intelligent debate and discussion around the points. Yeah, that's exactly it, Jim. That's exactly it. So that's why I would score it two and a half as opposed to anything yeah. lower, which you might. I, I would give it, no, I would give it a three. I, I, I would give it a three. Um, but, it, but it is one of my favourite Dipping and Dip Out books. Um, and you're right, you know, I'd never thought of it, but you, you're absolutely right. I'm not the person that I was when I first read this book. And all of my other experience that I've gained doing the work that I've done and reading the stuff that I've done, means that I do interpret it differently now than than when I first read it. So, yeah, I think you're right about that. But um, but an interesting choice, I thought. So Yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine that particularly in your line of work, working with women who are in business and industry, you have met one or two, if not more, women who would have what might be considered typically well, by this book, a male-wired brain. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, and, and I think it was, uh, I mean, the classic example that I would always use of a male-wired brain is Margaret Thatcher. So yes. if, if you looked at her laser focus, her ability to only think about logic-driven problems rather than the emotional um so the the emotional sort of coating that that goes around things that um that as i say that laser focus that that decision making um absolutely male wide brain absolutely uh, i think maybe at this point it would be um pertinent for us to state that what we're saying as well ladies and gents and anybody who identifies differently out there is that we aren't identifying gender and male or female wired brains in uh, correlation with sexuality. That's a separate issue. No, no, absolutely, completely. This is about the way in which people process information in that really broadest sense. Um, And and just from that point of view, I just thought it, it threw up some interesting points. No, it does. And, you know, without doubt... There are different types of us. Yep. Um, I think it's all spectrum and there's everyone along that spectrum somewhere. But there are points along the spectrum that can be identified as types. Yeah, um, that's absolutely right, Jim. People of various backgrounds, origins, uh, genders and sexualities could feature anywhere on that spectrum. That's absolutely right, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think actually, I would say that if you're interested in psychology and you're interested in this kind of conversation, this book is worth a read. Um, is it 
perfect? No, not by any means. Is it current and correct? No, not by any means. But actually, a good non-fiction book doesn't have to be. A good non-fiction book only has to start conversation. Yeah, and this one definitely does that, I have yeah. to say. Yeah, definitely. and then, you know, I think it's then up to you as a non-fiction reader to go away and do other related reading and background research and Googling and fact-finding. And, you know, part of what slowed me down in reading this was going, hmm, I'm sure that's not quite how we do the embryology now. I'm going to go and read the, Yeah. And that's absolutely I've got to read an article about embryology to refresh my memory on embryology. Yeah. Or I've got to a bit on um, left right hemisphere separation and mm. I think that's been updated as well. And I've gone away and refreshed my memory on that. Yeah. And you know, um, but that that is again part of the skill of the good non-fiction reader to fact-check and um, cross-reference and read around the subject rather than just accepting one opinion or point of view. And also what this book shows is that when society is working right, ideas move on. Yes. And what was acceptable in 1990s as an idea and as a concept and as a working theory actually should change over the over the period of 20 years and and things should move on and this book illustrates that but it doesn't make everything in it worthless it just means that some of it needs as you say needs to be updated so anyway an interesting little choice for this week definitely interesting choice for this week right well next week wendy we're back and we're back to give everybody our recommendations of what to buy and put in your suitcase or stick on your Kindle for when you go Definitely, away. we are. We're doing summer reading recommendations. Because we're all getting close to probably some sort of summer break or vacation. And we're all different creatures. I know lots of people who actually only really read when they go away on holiday. Yes, in fact, I've been speaking to a couple of those people over the last few weeks. Mm. So I can't wait to spend some time going out, looking at what's in the charts, having a look at what's new, what's hot, what's current, and then debating and discussing those with you and seeing, well, what should people take away with them? That sounds absolutely brilliant. And you never know, we might even find a couple of guest appearances for next week. Oh, so, that would be really good. Ladies and gentlemen, until next week, good reading. Happy reading, everybody. This show is part of Microbrew Radio, Burton on Trent's community radio station. You can hear this and plenty of other shows over on microbrewradio.com. Find our app on the iOS or Android stores, or just say Alexa, play Microbrew Radio. And if you like what you hear, please let us know on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks. <laughs>